What's up, everybody? Welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Dave. I'm EJ. And, and this, this is, is Dad. You we did it. it. You did it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Fist bump. Yeah. All right. We got a lot to do today. We got uh, we got plenty of time, though. I think we're good. Yeah. Um, if you are watching this online, uh, we try to stream as much as we can. We're available. And uh, you can check it out. But you should come to the local event like come irl come check it out make sure you check out go to dat.com g-o-t-o-d-a-t dot com and uh see when we're going to be in your city uh we only have a couple confirmed right now but we're going to confirm some of the other cities on that list soon and get some dates for you so you can buy tickets and uh with that we're going to go right into the panel and we're going to start with introductions starting right here ej you don't usually do an introduction but you know why yeah, not? I'm EJ. You all know me. I talked before for about an hour. So yeah, I'm me again. Let's pass it on down. Hi, I'm Maria Johnson. I'm a 3D artist. Um, I have a master's degree in computer arts, and I've been freelancing for past six years. Um, generalist, do everything. Yeah. Should I take this one? Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I'm a 3D artist living in New York, and I freelance and work for a studio, and I do a lot of character design and environment design. Thank you. My name is Patrick Foley, or Patrick 4D. I'm a 3D artist based in Atlanta, Georgia. I actually just presented here not too long ago, if anyone caught it. Um, and I do uh, I transferred from the film industry as a director of photography and then got into 3D as a hobby, and I've been doing this for about like six years now. Hello, I'm Michael Zlapsky. I'm a 3D animator, 2D animator, motion design, oh, visual effects, oh, kind of a general uh, general generalist. I've been doing digital art for about 30 years. Uh, that's, that's me. Uh, my name is Andrew Kramer, and I'm friends with EJ. <laughs> Wait, I don't... He said uh, I could come on the panel. Yeah. Uh, but we, we, we do uh, visual effects and motion graphics at Video Copilot. My name's Darby Facinto. I'm a Andrew's groupie. I'll follow him around typically wherever he goes. Uh, I'm a freelance uh, UI artist for film, so screens and holograms for TV and movies. Uh, that's typically where I'm hanging out. So I've been doing that now for a couple years uh, full time. I'm Seth Worley, and uh, I'm an award winning writer, director of commercial short films and explainer videos. I'm sorry, that j- <laughs> we're, good, we're doing great, guys. Uh, I am a writer-director of commercials and a movie. Um, I also am the co-host of a, a weekly talk show about VFX called VFX and Chill with my good pal Danny Hashimoto and Michael Slavsky. And uh, you can watch uh, VFXandChill.show every Friday. I'm also uh, the co-founder and creative director of a company called Plot Devices. We make paper products for story people. And on top of all of that... Uh, I work, uh, I do marketing things at Maxon as well. That's me. Hi, everyone. I'm Matthias Omatola, a.k.a. Major VFX on all the social media networks and things like that. I've been manager of events and community outreach at Maxon for over 14 years, helping to build this community and have these experiences with these amazing artists and uh, creatives on stage with me and also an international best-selling author. So all about helping people um, you know, live a more connected happy life i'm uh, nathan duck i primarily teach uh motion graphics on youtube been doing that full-time for about five or six years now and uh exclusively in blender so it's 
MoGraph guy. That's me. I'm Vernon Roberts. I am a 3D generalist and uh, color management professional print and been doing 3D for maybe the last 10 years and uh, graphic designer. And also, you do the uh, Nashville Meetup Group here, so... Yeah, I sure. help administer the uh, Music City MoGraph Meetup. Yeah, everybody here, everybody here, uh, get connected, and if you live here, there's no reason you shouldn't be going to these meetup groups. Um, we'll talk about the importance of that, too, during this discussion. Uh, so we're going to start knocking out some of the questions here, and I'm going to start with this one here. I'm going to open it up to whoever. Um... So in the field of animation and motion graphics, there's an ugly stage of design. And um, it's the part where you hate it, right? You're kind of putting it together. You're like, this could be good. Oh, no, I just hate this. And hopefully you get over that hump. Uh, so the question is, how do you deal with the ugly stage of design? How do you maintain your creativity? And then how do you come up with fresh ideas while doing that while also... Uh, maintaining the uh, deadlines that you have to hit for your clients. Don't everyone all at once. All at once. Well, I was going to say deadlines are what helps me get past the ugly stage because Mike, when the mic. deadline is Eat the mic. when the deadline is there, <laughs> you have no choice but to keep going and push through the ugly stage because you like look at the clock you're like well, I, I just got to keep going and that's that's the thing that helps me push past the ugly stage because i'm like sometimes i'm hating it right to the very end but i don't have a choice it has to go out so right. the deadline is the driving factor for me yeah i heard one time that harrison ford before he starts every take says let's shoot this piece of shit <laughs> and you can tell by his performance usually uh no i i my favorite quote is actually understands uh fail as fast as possible He's talking about it from a writing standpoint of like your first draft's going to be terrible, get it out of the way. Uh, it helps me just to see the whole process as the terrible process, the terrible part. Um, usually, what I, for me, that ends when I show it to somebody and they say, "Oh, that's actually cool." It's usually Michael or Hashi who will, in our Slack, who will be like, "This rules," and I'll be like, oh, "Okay, well, it does now because you said so. <laughs> it's done then." Uh, I think that when I'm designing stuff. Uh, I think of this Ed Sheeran quote. <laughs> he said that when he's writing songs, he thinks of it like a faucet because when you turn it on, especially like an old one, there's all this dirty water that's just built up in the pipe. But you got to let the faucet run to clean it out to get to the clean water. And so when I'm designing, if I'm not happy with what I'm doing right up front, I'm thinking of it as an iteration to get me to that clean water. So I look at it, I accept what it is, I throw it away, and I keep moving forward with different iterations. And I think having something tangible like paper, or procreate on my iPad where I can sketch and I don't feel married to what I'm doing by sitting down in Illustrator or cinema and making something, uh, trying to make it look super perfect allows me to kind of explore that and get that faucet running. So I can get somewhere where I really feel comfortable. Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> I have one thing to add to that, which is when you are working on something that you want it to be really good and your first draft or your second draft is like the idea is there, but it's just not polished or it doesn't pop the way that you imagined it would. And so what I do is I just sort of try to give myself constructive notes on why that's not happening. Like just separate yourself from, you know, your best effort and the fact that it didn't quite get there and now look at it objectively and say, okay, 
this is a bit muddy. The background is a little too busy and it's taking away from the composition or the colors are, you know, not in sync or something's just not feeling right. Give yourself really specific notes. And then when you go to address them, then you can actually think about the note and how to improve it rather than just thinking the totality of the design, like how come it's not better? You have something to just go off of. That's the answer to walk away from, uh, walk away with 100%. <laughs> walk away. Walk away from. Walk away. <laughs> no. Everyone, I feel like, I'm sorry. No, I feel like my answer doesn't apply like to client work cuz you have to sometimes show concept, but for me not feeling really dedicated to an idea helps me not feel like something's really ugly because I'm not trying to reach this level. I'm more like exploring. And then when you get fixated on something ugly, you can remember like it doesn't have to be there. Like you don't need this specific asset or like part of your model if it's not working so i try to not have any ideas going in so that (laughs) just kidding but nothing i try to be as easy on myself when i'm in the creative phase and you might see people they try to like i don't know like try to make it better by adding like filters to it lens flares or just crazy stuff anyway we're having a sale this (laughs) (laughs) this week that's good that actually does make me feel better (laughs) (laughs) that you're having a sale (laughs) adding a little lens flare when it's looking a bit ugly yes yeah i i actually just got told this recently that uh when you're presenting a design to a client especially like in the film space okay so like when i'm showing a client something of course my design needs to be thought out and it needs to be presentable to the client. It needs to be like ready to go, tight, perfect. But when they're looking at it, nobody really wants to just see my flat graphic on black. They really don't want to see that. So I'm always throwing lens flares, glows, like making like chromatic aberration, like fringing it up a little bit because that's, that can make or break a design, not necessarily from your technical ability, but I think that kind of goes into the art of the pitch a little bit, honestly. Um, but it is super important, and he is running a sale. So, no, well, one thing I was gonna uh, tack onto that is this: uh, Can we use foul language? I, I don't know what the, what's the language. I mean, sure. A, sure. Okay. So th- there's a term that I like to use when working on things and running into any level of uh, frustration, and that's "fuck it, ship it." Right? It's just like in, when the world of like products and everything else, like there, a lot of times they'll ship it and wait for a recall. Even and as artists, we don't have there won't be blood on our hands for the most part if we just ship whatever design and just get it out of our own hands. So that's what I like to, that's what I constantly tell myself when I found, found out that I was spending, you know, three hours on a small quadrant that's like 20 by 20 pixels and I was just in it for too long and I have to zoom back. I'm like, why am I even doing this? And it was just, I was in my own head creatively versus the client's probably never even going to look at that part of the picture. They're looking at the whole composition. So if you ship it out, you're going to get feedback soon enough where you can iterate versus holding it too dear and then just staying in the, you know, I guess the, the mental hypnosis that you're putting yourself under. A lot of times when the way I'm getting out of that spot where I'm like, this sucks and I don't know how to make it not suck is if I'm working on something and I know there's, I can look at artwork that's similar to it I'll look at what they did. Already finished, already polished work, and okay, what did they do here? What did they do with their lighting? What did they do with their materials? And I'll apply that to me, and then I'll start working in where I can make it my own later. And that's really what gets me out of the rut of like the first beginning part where I hate it so much. 
but it's usually looking at a lot of inspiration. That's what's helped me across the board is look at everybody's work and kind of be a student of everyone else and not isolate yourself because that's how you can really learn how everyone else is problem solving these situations. I had something to say. So, um, in direct to client work, I'm, I'm a little changing this up a little bit, but, um, and I'm trying, making sure you hit your deadline as, is is a little bit on the client's responsibility and getting them to agree to milestones up front. So, um, if the deadline is a month away and then you might have three different milestones before your, you know, final delivery. And as long as you know, you need to help, you know, guide them at each step of the way so that you don't, you know, make sure that you actually hit the deadline, no matter what you don't, you know, beyond, you know, creative. The client says, uh, we want to go back and change all this stuff. Yeah. Well, it's due tomorrow. So yeah. So what do you want to cut? Um, from the beginning, um, they need to agree to the deadline or to each milestone to get to that final date. Um, or you're not going to deliver on time and you might have to renegotiate your original agreement. So. But there's also, well, okay. I, well, like Matthias is talking about those little details, right? Uh, I, I am like really bad at that sometimes. Like, uh, I was working with Cameron the other day, Cameron Butterfield, who was on the, the Denver panel and, uh, he made a base to like assign the other day. And uh, we were going to send it off to the client. And I'm like, I don't like how that looks. The surface doesn't look flat. Can you change the fong to zero on that? Like anybody's going to notice that. But um, along those lines, how do you, those of you who lead a team, how do you take your team through that same process? How do you, how do you lead and make sure that they're not having trouble doing the same thing? How do you guide them through the ugly phase of design? Hmm. It's a tough one, I know. I've never had to. Um, well, let me. Actually, I take that back. So I can speak. I can speak from a director, like a directing live action standpoint. So maybe something will apply. Um, you were uh, you're working with a team of department heads, and they're all wired differently as people and as artists. And uh, you know, your art director, or production designer, might need more validation and confirmation in the work as it's going on. And so like so much of it is knowing the people that you're working with and, and knowing that like knowing them, not just like not their work, but their like work habits and styles and like, and how they operate as people. And like, um, and knowing that you're kind of a, a coach, like, and treat them like they're the players, not like they're, you're just the support staff and you're the main player, like treating it like you're a coach and you're trying to make them, give them what they need to do their best work. And a lot of times that's like affirmation. A lot of times that's like reminding the North stars of this is the direction we're going. And, but if you're talking about getting, you know, getting, get either. Yeah. That's about getting the best work out of them, getting deadlines out of them. That's a producer's job and not mine. <laughs> so maybe that applies. Find a producer. <laughs> I remember working on uh, a space related movie and we would do like the visual effects reviews. So there's, you know, thousands of shots in the movie. And one cool thing was you got to see the versions of shots from little studios like ILM and they would, you know, have this shot. They're like version one was like insane, you know? And so seeing 
other people's work while you're in that process, I think can help elevate everybody that's in the room because everybody's aspiring to create that next, you know, you know, everybody's going to work on the next version of their shot, right? And so to see all of the different sequences and how they're coming together, you're going to be able to say like, yeah, you know what? I like what they did there and I'm going to try to, you know, elevate my shot. And that way everybody's kind of on the same page. And then hopefully a really great shot doesn't happen right before your shot gets reviewed. <laughs> that's, that's my only advice, okay? Get in early and then get out. Actually, I, the one thing I forgot to say is knowing what you want. Knowing, like, and knowing, not just knowing what you want, knowing whether or not you know what you want. And because there's a lot of times you don't know what you want and you've hired really talented people or you're working with a team of people that... Can you know can help you get there and being crystal clear about that and literally and spelling out like here's what I do know here are the deeds I've got this blurry vision in my brain that I think it could be here are the the attributes of that blurry vision here's some reference stuff for it and just being like incredible as clear as you possibly can be and then when you can't be clear being collaborative um, uh, actually that sounded like it could go in a t-shirt so I'm gonna stop talking <laughs> I I learned pretty quickly that, uh, at least w- with what I do with film, I'm a designer, not an artist, I guess, and there's a clear difference. Because when I'm doing artist work, I'm just doing what I want to do and what I think looks good. And when I'm working with a director and a VFX team, I'm a designer because I'm, in, I'm getting someone else's vision across. So they hired me for a specific purpose to do a specific vision for them. It's, of course, I'm giving my own flair to it. But ultimately, I'm not going to sit there and argue that my thing's better because it's what they want. It's not what I want at the end of the day. So that can help you get, get clear vision as well because you have a common goal at the end of the tunnel of, well, I don't have to figure out the end goal. I know exactly what the director wants. I may not agree with it, but that pass laid out before me and I need to kind of lay aside my opinions in some ways uh, to get to that final goal. But of course, you want to input your own creative flair and the way that you want to approach it and that's how your work's recognizable. But, you know. Anyone else? I can always move on to the next question. Um, everything in this industry is always changing. You know, there's always some new product. There's always some new plug-in. There's a program that probably takes like, you know, a month to learn. But, you know, someone might like me, I'm in my 40s. I don't want to do that every week. So with all this stuff coming out and trying to keep up with it, how do you assess your own capabilities uh, in, in order to take on a client project? Because they might come to you and say, hey, we want this thing. And you're like, oh, I've never done that before. How do you know that you're ready for a product, a project and that you can handle it? I think for me, I just always say yes. And um, I think like uh, being a community and like listen to what your peers are doing and just it's nice to always have a person that you can ask. And if you can't do it, then you know someone that can do it. Um, yeah. So networking is important. Yeah. I'll say, and when I went to film school, they actually said like, say yes to whatever, uh, the job description is, and then you go learn it. But I will say having things, uh, to your disposal, like I run a discord server at this point and every day when I turn, uh, tune in, it's like, there's always people working in it and it's like this well-oiled machine, even when I'm not there. And that, uh, I guess the point is being able to have communities you can trust to kind of fill you in on new things that you're not even uh, engulfed in yet. Uh, like, I'll just tune in there and people will be like, oh, have you, have you tried this? I'm like, I didn't even realize this was a thing. And then you just get all this information from your friends and peers that are using it on a daily basis. Um, so just making sure you're in communities that 
of people that are like-minded and just collaborating all the time is i think a, a good point yeah vernon was in our discord the other day and i was like having this x particles issue and i'm like i've never done this one thing in x particles before and i was like trying to like fake my way through it and vernon was like oh here's a sample file for you you know i found the best way to figure out how to do something is to try for hours and hours to do it and fail and then finally go into a forum or a slack channel and post the question publicly because you will immediately find the solution yourself the second you hit send um that's all An another little uh hack on that is um <clears throat> chat gpt uh, right we're not there yet sorry we're not, we're not there yet that's yeah that's much, much later conversation uh, but just like you said like the answer kind of appears as soon as you ask somebody else is uh, a little trick for the entire internet everybody likes to prove you wrong so if you ever need help for anything just go on the internet and act like you know how to do it and just say oh yeah i'm gonna do this thing and this is how i'm going to do it and then watch how everybody corrects you with the, the actual right way to do it. A little, little hack right there. Because they just want to prove you wrong and call you, you know, stupid. And uh, little do they know, right? As, as someone who does tutorials for a living, that's so true. I, every video, there's a correction, even if they're wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, you flipped it around. You, you hacked it. You made it a benefit. Yeah. Use your network, folks. Use your network. <laughs> Like, let the hate consume them and give, give you the right answers. That's it. I feel like one way to stay, like, up to date with software, too, is dedicating time to feel excited about new things. Because it's so easy to get into a rut of all the stuff you know. So, like, just doing, like, one day a month where you learn a new tool and, like, feel like a kid again using the software, like, helps me feel engaged with, like, new tools I just find myself using like the same things like you have the same pattern of working every day and then one day you're like I'm just doing a formula so that's how I keep up you know one other thing I want to add because you mentioned network at, at the end over there um, and that's what this is really about like having people meet in person and um, you know building the communities the discourse the slack uh, you know all the different places you can connect with the MoGraph community and it's really a game changer where you can approach every project much more confidently when you know that you have a relationship with an artist that's already good at aspects that you're not. Like I know that I have, you know, several different people in FUI design, you know, I have several people in character design. I might not be that person, but I know that I have a professional and friendly relationship with an entire network of people that can do the entire gambit. So that's one of the things that I would strongly encourage. And for those of you who are here, like meet somebody new. You might meet two or three new people and they would give you that edge to be able to take on the job that you would have been very stressed about knowing that you had a friendly conversation. They'd be happy to work with you. And I think that makes a big difference. Just knowing, knowing your network. Uh, I was going to say, uh, if you follow a bunch of motion designers on social media, yeah, you'll see new tools posted daily. It's crazy. There's so many new things all the time. Um, and it will seem like that you're falling behind. Uh, you don't you don't have to learn all this stuff. I, I think it's very valuable to just stay in your tool and just get really good at it. Um, it, it, is, it is valuable to 
go to meetups and see what every what other people are doing, what people who are working at studios are using, and uh, so that at least you can fit into someone's pipeline as a freelancer. Um, but like, there are so many tools all the time. You can't possibly ever be really great at any of them if you keep trying to learn the the newest thing all the time. And it's it's important to to look at software when you're about to make that decision. Say, I'm going to learn Unreal Engine. But why, though? Mm-hmm. You know, are you really going to use this, or do you need it for anything? Could you hire somebody to do it instead of like spending a year trying to learn it yourself? Um, and then you look at stuff on social media, and you see, you know, maybe say you follow a thousand accounts, and a hundred people post something that day about some new tool they learned, and you're like, how am I going to learn a hundred new things? Well, each person is just learning one thing that's valuable to them. I think people fall under the trap in thinking that they need to learn a new software when really they just suck as an artist and need to get better at an artist. I was one of those artists that was like, oh, if I learn the new technical thing in Cinema 4D, like that's kind of how I got into tutorials was I was like trying all the new technical stuff. But like I still have my first tutorials on YouTube and the thumbnails are god awful. Like I didn't know how to design anything to look good. I know Chris Schmidt had this whole, you know, same uh, journey where he was just getting into technical stuff, but didn't know how to make things look good. Uh, and so I think focusing too much on software, when it's about the artist, it's not about what the software is putting out, it's what you're putting into the software. So always remember that. Um, and one thing I'll add too is like, I think Beeple's on like the like five year ago version of Cinema 4D. Like a lot of the artists I know that are very, very successful, like, they're not on the latest and greatest. They don't have the latest X particles. Like, they are just really freaking good at their jobs. And I think just focusing on the fundamentals, being good at that, it's it's always more about what the artist brings to the tool than what the tool brings to the artist. So you're saying great artists never update their software? Absolutely. Copy well, there was a stream we were doing That's there one time, and people uh, pulled up fireworks to do the finishing. And we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> It's, it's like Macromedia 2020, yeah. Uh, Kramer, Kramer, you work on Amiga, right? Uh, video toaster? Yeah. <laughs> you work deck-to-deck VHS. Well, what I'm learning from this is maybe you don't need to learn new software. You might just be a hack. You don't need to buy optical flares, even though there's a sale going on. <laughs> hey, how many of those people you're talking about, EJ, are on this panel that are bad artists that just need to learn how to... Just like oh. just be, I mean, I, was, I always talk about myself, but oh. no, I don't think there's any bad artists. Like me. I said I was a bad artist last night. Oops. They're not, oh, sorry. They're not bad artists, just bad at art. They're you're good just bad, no, I said you were a bad person, not a bad artist. Okay, uh, that's fine. Yeah. You yeah. make yeah. bad life decisions. Yeah. Clarification. I think it's good, to go back to the original question, I think it's good to just... I think it's good to have an idea of what's out there, but don't put a lot of energy into learning it until you need it. Like I knew Cinema 4D had updated faster, better cloth simulation. Like the whole engine was great, but I didn't take the time to learn it until I had a project where I needed it. And then I spent, you know, I knew it was there. I knew where to look for the help. I knew where to look for the tutorials. I knew where it was. So when the job request came in and said, hey, we need two minute long music video of cloth flying around doing specific things, I was like, oh, I know I ha- the tool is there and I know how to learn how to make it, but, be- but I had to know it was there. So that is having the best an, way to learn anything, yeah. man. It's like, just have an idea of what's available yeah. and, how, and how to learn it if you need it. And then when the job comes in, you're like, aha, execute. Yeah, I think uh, what I got caught up in pretty bad when I was starting pretty young, like high school days, I guess, I... Uh, 
I thought that I needed some kind of like super computer to do things. And so I'd see this incredible work online. And I'm like, nah, man, my HP Pavilion is not going to handle that, which honestly it didn't. But I, I remember thinking to myself, man, like I, I need a better computer to do better work. Or I wish I had money to buy this thing because my work can only be so good unless I have this tool or this product or whatever. And uh, it wasn't until I started kind of taking a little bit more seriously in college that my friend that was doing all the Iron Man stuff, he like called me and he was like, we're talking about computers and stuff. I'm like, dude, like, what's like your GPU? What CPU you're running? How much RAM do you have? And he's like, nah, man. He's like, I work off a MacBook Air on my couch. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, no, nah, I designed all that with a trackpad. I went, are you for real? That's Instantly, where, I felt stupid. I was like, okay, well, then I just need to like get a grip. That's, that's where uh, what render engine came from on oh the line, God. right? Because if you just get that engine, you'll be just as good as that person. Right. It's like asking Andrew Kramer, like, oh, what weights do you use to be buff? It's like, no, you have to put in the work. Everyone is there searching. Is. Everyone's, I know they're very, very, they're not very heavy weights, but they're, you know, it doesn't matter what the weights are, the brand or anything. Uh, but I think people, <laughs> people, people place all this effort into trying to find all these shortcuts when it's just like, I always relate things to like working out and exercise. Like there's no shortcut to whether you want to get in shape or anything. You have to put in the work and everyone's trying to make up all these excuses when all they have to do is put in the work and they're just afraid to do it because it's hard. Like, and, and uh, you have to be, you have to embrace it. Like if it was easy, everyone would do it. And I mean, you're already seeing it now with AR, but, uh, but yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Hey, this is Dave. I just wanted to stop for a moment and thank our sponsor, Otoy, the creators of Render Network and of course, Octane, but I don't have to tell you that. You know who they are. You see the results of their render engine all over the interwebs. And we're very grateful that they're supporting what we're doing at MoGraph.com from this podcast to MoGraph TV, to events like local meetups and Camp MoGraph and all our community building efforts. We can't wait to show you what's in store, all thanks to their support. Go check them out at otoy.com. Now back to the madness. Well, I think, and furthermore, with the not feeling like you have to upgrade it every single time and stay up to date with every new tool, it's like, like I just gave a presentation on like ZBrush, but realistically, I feel like I only actually know like 20% of like actual ZBrush stuff when you go to every single menu and look at all the tools. So it's like, I've chosen to take the route that's pretty specialized within a niche, which is like this food area of 3D. And I mean, I, I found a system of where I can use just a handful of different tools to make a combination of any kind of food I feel like I wanna make. So it's not even like I have to reinvent the wheel. As long as you have like a process that works with you that you can do faster um, than your competition, you just get that down and it's it's that simple, I feel like. Yeah, I've known Photoshop since uh, 1995, and I still know nothing about it. <laughs> to go off of what, one of the things EJ uh, mentioned about doing the work, I think that one of the terms used is embrace the suck. It's like it's going to suck for a little yeah. while, like that grind, that, that part of it. Um, but the more that you can psychologically put yourself in that uncomfortable situation and just say, okay, this is just going to be uncomfortable, and you're not running to relief like okay how do i just get out of the uncomfortable situation as fast as possible but how do i adjust to the uncomfortable situation and still be able to perform is what i feel kind of creates the good to great 
for everybody that like everybody that I hear who's gone through something, it's always that other side of taking that time and going through that and embracing the suck. And then at the other end, they're like, oh, this is great. How did you do it? Oh, how do you do it without the sucky part? That's what everybody was. Everybody has used this quote, this Ira Glass quote, it's because it's the greatest thing ever said about creativity and storytelling is that like when you start off at anything you want to try and learn how to do or do, you're not going to be very good and you're going and the trick is if you know you're not very good if you can tell that's when you know you're not doomed because that means you have taste you just don't have the skill to back it up yet and so the time to be worried is when you start off at something you're like i did it i'm there like that's when you're screwed (laughs) like you know that's when you may not have the taste and he was like taste is literally what will carry you into into the rest of your life and uh yeah there's a great quote from Three Stooges, I forget which one, but he says, if at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking until you do succeed. And I think about that all the time because I, I'm still waiting for the success part. I thought you were going to say, because I suck. Because I thought you were going to say. Well, I do. Is there anybody else who wants to uh, chime in on that before I go to the next one here? Um, this is... Kind of related. They're all kind of related. They're all MoGraph. So um, there's, I don't know, I've been in this 20 years doing the 3D part at least, right? And I've always worked for other people. Always, always. I've never done my own thing. It took me 20 years to do my own my own little short or something. And my question is, because a lot of you do a lot more personal stuff than I do, how do you get that balance, client work and personal stuff? How do you make sure you're maintaining that balance that you want if you you know, if you want to do personal stuff. Um, for me, it's just when I run out of money, I take commercial projects and when I have money, I take personal projects. Um, but I, I do try to push myself and like make time for my personal projects. Um, I think it's just where you put your focus and energy into, um, and trying to like push time in the beginning to make, that space for your personal work and then eventually you're going to get hired for what you put your attention to um and yeah just sticking with it yeah i had kind of a related answer is like i first of all enjoy making personal work and the more you post or share the work that you like the more likely you're going to get jobs yeah related to it so i found myself in like a client work hole and then i hate the whatever style and then they ask for more and more and I'm just like oh, I'm not enjoying the yeah so you have to break away from that by like branding yourself as what like what you want to keep doing yeah um I was gonna say uh y- you you have to make time um throughout the year at some point if you're total freelance then um your rate needs to um accommodate for you to have some time during the year to to do one project I would say at least and then get some of that work that you really enjoy doing into your reel so that you can continue to strive toward uh, getting getting the work that you really want to do if your if your rate is too low or if if you're if you're too cheap and you'll you're staying booked you'll you'll never get out of that so that that's my point of view on it that's good on that too because I'm kind of on the opposite end of that where 90% of what I do is personal work. And so, and I've found there has to be a balance because if all you're doing is personal work, 
at least for me, I don't progress in learning more things and getting better. I tend to just stay in what I'm comfortable with and have like having fun. And you so need the clients to take you the clients to your comfort zone, push you that really like they ask you to do something that I don't think I don't know how to do that. Like I can say like one of my best friends started with 3d and he just started saying yes to things like he, someone asked him to do like a fluid simulation. He didn't know how to do it, but he said he was going to do it. Now he knows how to do it. And that, and if he was just doing personal work, he may have never touched fluid simulations ever. So I think the balance is extremely important to have. I think, look, I'm, this may not apply to everybody, but I, two things. One, I, I highly recommend, if you can, take a full-time job somewhere doing this for just a season and use your employer's money to buy new tools you don't know how to use and learn it with their money and use it on their things. Um, literally how I learned After Effects was a combination of that guy's tutorials and Lifeway Christian Resources money. And uh, I... Uh, learned After Effects. I learned Trapcore Particular, which, and then I put the work I was doing online. And for me, that's how Red Giant found my stuff, and I made shorts with them for five or six years. I'm not saying that that always going to happen for everybody. The other thing that I found success in, I have can, like, is not not to let personal work and professional work be such a black and white binary thing. Um, it's for me, I couldn't tell you. Like, my best work is, like, how much of it is professional, how much of it is personal. It is such, like, everything I do has some level of, obviously, if someone's paying me, then it's professional work. But some of my most personal projects are stuff that I don't own because I did them for, um, I did them for money or for work. And I found my way into it and ended up making this something I'm really proud of. But there's also work that I've done that's purely, like, personal that I'm so proud of that I did with my own money that's just kind of garbage because I didn't have any parameters that or any restrictions that were that made the work better or whatever you could break it all apart but i also just didn't tend to have a higher rate of enjoying the work that i do no matter whether i'm being paid for it or not by trying to find my way into it in some way each time i think i know there's a fair amount of privilege in that bit of advice there but if you happen to have any level of privilege that i've had that i say then my advice is to do that with it do y'all ever do that thing where like there's something you really want to try out or something you want to do and you like kind of nudge your client to do it? Cause like then you get paid to like try and figure out how to do it. That's fun. I think work balance, work life balance. I think it's, you know, you, it's how you look at it, right? It's like how much chaos are you comfortable with? And we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, the thing about VFX artists and MoGraph artists is like, we've probably all stayed up for more than 24 hours before, right? And yep. that's, you know, not everybody is, you know, comfortable doing that. I mean, not that it's comfortable to do that, but we have a certain understanding of what the chaos on either a personal project or a professional project might be. And you just have to decide, like, it's not going to, every day is not going to just be chill, right? And you just have to decide, like, how you know, crazy do you want things to get? And so, and my perspective is a little bit different because for me, you know, we're a software developing company and what I like to be able to do is take on a professional project that is outside of my skill set, right? Like going back to what we were talking about earlier, like having somebody pay you to learn how to do something new, right? Like great advice. Uh, so to be able to take on a project that maybe is outside of my comfort zone, but you know, I, I, I want to be able to do it and I want to learn how to do it so that when I 
come back to sort of my software development. Like I can have a sense for how difficult it was to do something or how to achieve that quality that you want. And so I can kind of bring it into, you know, our development. And for me, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to sort of work on software and it's very fun to have these visual goals and how you want something to work and how you want it to look. And more importantly, like, like it works exactly the way that like I want, like the simplest way or whatever. And so the, the contrast between those is, is what really helps me. So being able to learn from your personal projects so that you can, you know, bring them back and forth between your professional work. Uh, for me, and this is probably completely unhealthy. So honestly, don't replicate this if it is, but I'm super extreme about like everything that I do. And so when I'm doing my work stuff, um, I am all in, that's where I'm at. I'm locked up in my office. I'm going crazy, like paper flying around my room, like mad scientist kind of thing. And then when I'm done, the last thing I want to do is sit at my computer any longer. I want to like get up and remove myself completely, completely and do something totally unrelated. And to be completely honest with you, that has lacked in my personal work because I don't really have any because all my work is just the work that I do, similar to what Seth was saying. However, I'm pouring that passion into what I'm doing. And so it, when, I, when I look at the work that I'm doing to get paid, I look at it as a chance to express myself on somebody else's paycheck, really, right? And to use, use a project or uh, use a client's uh, ask to grow into a new skill or a new tool. And then when that time's up, completely remove myself and let, let my brain absorb it while I'm going to the lake or I'm hanging out with friends at the coffee shop. Um, most of the people that I hang out with do not care about motion graphics like at all. And they would not care if I told them what I did. So they're like, Darby, we don't want to hear what you're doing. So let's just go play basketball or something. So I, I think it's super important to have that community of people that are just totally unrelated and you're just able to step away. Um, I found that important. But again, that may be like super extreme. So what to have a healthy to have a life that might be that might be extreme to have a life but (laughs) always i always love the quote from brad bird who writes pixar films where it's like animation is creating the illusion of life and if you don't have one you can't create it so i would not be but yeah like just like you said like you need to unplug you have to recharge your creative juices because if you're just constantly working because you feel like you need to work like what experiences are you missing out on that could help inspire and uh, you know fuel that creative juices for your next project or find out the next thing you want to work on? Yeah. yeah, like when I'm when I'm writing a course, I get more ideas while I'm riding my bike than when I'm staring at the Blender blank page, going, "Okay, what do I want to teach today? Let me study my animations." Because I don't know how the brain works in that sense, but having that lull where it's just like it comes to you, even. Because in those times, like you were talking about, like cranking through and just being obsessive, because your brain is working on that in the background. So it's still happening, whether you're, it's the subconscious. And so the subconscious is going to bleed into when you're not working and give you more clarified ideas. And so, it's yeah. so funny. We, this is my son is here. He's hiding out there, um, <laughs> uh, watching the show. I, I, I just put him on the spot. Um, don't look at him if you see him. The, uh, we've been watching, uh, at our house, we've been watching through like sitcoms and shows that my wife and I love. And there's one that aired for one season called The Grinder with Rob Lowe that is one of the funniest TV shows of all time. And in it, uh, they talk about on these like 
procedural crime or, or law shows, the main character who solves every crime, sometimes you just have to have a side story you give them where they just go off and start painting a boat or their son comes home from war and they're talking to their son and they, their son says one word and they're like, that's it. That's the key. And they realize and they go off and solve the mystery. So it's so funny. You're talking about that. I'm thinking of like, sometimes you need a side story just to go off and be like on your bike and you see a wheel and you're like, rotation, Ro- <laughs> rotation blur, radial blur. My God, it. And you leap off the bike and ride home. And it's like, what is, why are these people friends with you? Do you keep doing this? But yeah, you need a side story. Julie and I go running a lot and, uh, it, it never fails. I'm working on like something. I'm having problems and it's time to go running. It's, it's time. We only have babysitter for an hour. Okay, let's go. And we go running and we're like almost done. And I'm like, I got it. I figured it out. All right. And then we're good. So you know why that is? I was reading a, bo- a blog about that because some of the most like Einstein, all the most famous, smartest people in history, most creative people in history would always get their best ideas when they would go for a walk. And one of the reasons for that is your brain is always trying to keep you to think inside the box. That's why you have the fear to do anything new is because your lizard brain is telling you, it's trying to keep you safe, right? So when you're actually exercising, you're walking or anything, your brain is actually diverting resources from that part of your brain that tells you don't do anything weird. And that's how you can actually let those fresh ideas come in. So it's very fascinating. Like, yes, being active, even if it's simply a walk, is, is so good for your creative brain. And, you know, we harp a lot um, on, desi- you know, you're learning all these programs and everything, posting the stuff that you want to, for the, the work you want to get, right? It's like, if you post, like, a whole bunch of explainer video stuff on your feed, and then you're like, why am I not getting, like, super awesome visual effects jobs? Well, that's, that's the reason right there. Um, how do all of you approach your your branding, building an audience for your work so that you can do that? So you can craft some stuff, you can put it online, and you can kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, use the secret <laughs> like, and like will some of this work into existence. I feel like I come from a very privileged spot having the size of the audience I have. Because what my YouTube channel simply has been for the past six years is I made something I think is cool. I'm going to make a tutorial and whoever wants to learn that can. And then that grew uh, really well. And so now I have clients going, I want that for myself. And it was mostly concert visuals. And so a lot of artists would come to me and they want me to do that. And so it, for me, it came from just wanting to teach the stuff that I think is cool and then clients approached me and it was simply because of the volume of people watching and that's why I say it's like a privileged position to be in but if you have the ability to just keep posting all the stuff you think is cool sometimes that works out and even and and I'm sure a lot a lot of people can relate a lot of you work on something and someone looks at the computer go that looks really cool and you go what there's no way that you think that's cool sometimes you just need to put out the stuff you did and you'll eventually learn and gain taste and go, I said that was really cool. And you'll get the clients for that, but just put work out. Cause when you're first starting, it's kind of, you're scared to do that fear of judgment or whatever, but just put work out as much as you can. Don't put too much for it where it suffers your work, but yeah, just post. Yeah. I don't know. I'd say the more, the better. Yeah. 
I think just because the more you put out, the more you're evolved, the more you have to make. And the more you have to make, the less precious you'll be with it. And also the more you do, the more your work will evolve and your skill will evolve. And like, you'll find a certain voice of your, your stuff. And the truth is like, there's so much stuff out there. The cynical, my cynical thought is like, you're not going to stand out anyway. So just like, <laughs> like don't be so hard on yourself and don't be too precious with all of it. Um, I just found that the less, <laughs> less hard you try at this stuff and the more you try and make the process, the rewarding thing for yourself, like, Weirdly, that's when I think your work tends to shine the most, and people notice it. Um, the Vernon, you did you did uh, a year of dailies, right? Trying to learn software and stuff. Did that? Yeah. You? Did you post that? Did that? I did two years of dailies. Uh, oh, two years. Yeah, I uh, was a big Beeple fan early, and uh, I was inspired by his worth ethic um, way before NFTs and everything, um, and so I tried it. I actually did maybe like two weeks to see if I could do it. And then I just started going public with it and being account, you know, when you post it, you're accountable. Right. So I just said I was going to do one year and then I stopped. And then maybe like two years later, I did another year. And that for me, that was like 700 and something projects that you can go back and cut a reel or something. You know, it's really easy. Um, what I was going to say is that, uh, I think that self-brand, I talk a lot about branding, but yeah, you like your self-brand and positioning is is really important on whether you want to uh, be an individual artist or you want to be um, branded as a studio, even if you're just an artist and you have somebody helping you on the side. If you want to do work direct to client or you want to work um, for a studio and a pipeline with other people, um, that should, um, inform your decision on, on how you want to brand yourself. Um, myself, I've branded myself as an individual artist. So if you go to my website, you'll just see, it's just me, Vernon Roberts, and I'm not, um, a studio or hiding behind a, a name. Um, and, and I did that, um, because my interest was to, uh, target, uh, freelancing for for other people and and they they go out and get the clients and if you're going to do direct to client work you probably would be more successful not branding yourself as an individual artist there might be more um it might be better to be uh you everyone get what i'm saying right um and so i feel like that is an, is important i don't know where i was going with this but no, yeah, yeah. Make, yeah, totally makes sense. And like Patrick, all the food stuff. Do do you get food stuff from that? Yeah. So I think uh, I I chose to I kind of fell into this food thing uh, by chance, going from like cartoon characters, cartoon foods, and start doing this. And I think a big thing for me was finding a workflow and a flow to my style to where I could come out with these dailies every single day, but the end product doesn't look like it took an hour or two like it looks like a full commercial ready product and then even though it's you know a lot of it is um, me racking up a lot of food textures throughout the days and I can just slap those on at the end so I'm spending most of my time on ZBrush um, but I think having such a consistent um, piece every single day I mean I guess it doesn't have to be every single day but I I kind of go with the to me posting once a day is like 
buying a lottery ticket every single day almost. And it's like, if you're only buying one every week or month, it's like the chance that you're going to get some work out of that or whatever, or it's going to stick in people's heads is very slim. But I think the bare minimum, the least someone can do as an artist, especially when social media is just free to post and broadcast to like thousands of people. I think that's the bare minimum, especially in our landscape right now that, that one can do. Um, cause it just, everything gets better when, when you can do that, you'll develop like a flow that you can do, um, much faster every day. You get better at the niche that you're pursuing in my case, food. And then, you know, when a lot of times, like for me, it'll be an agency gets a project and the creative director will follow me on Instagram or something and be like, Oh wait, we got this food project that comes in. I follow this one guy that's like his thing. That's his bread and butter. No pun intended. And, um, I get hit up for it. And uh, it just goes from there. So it just sticking in people's heads. Uh, that's why I think consistent posting is just so good. And also having like a niche as well. Yeah. And they're going to go to you because they know you're an expert in it. And you do have those things in your back pocket that you could just, I mean, you don't have to research textures or any of that. You're ready to go. And it doesn't matter that it takes you an hour because your 10,000 hours or whatever that you put in before that uh, qualifies you to yeah. make that amount of money and make yeah. an hour. And people, we were saying, we were talking about like walking, going for a walk, run. I just go to the grocery store. Just look at the textures, like of the food at the grocery store. And just even just walk in there, you get exercise and you can find inspirations in places that you go every single day. Yeah. I, I might be devil's advocate for a second. I think I would challenge a little bit on posting unless like you're in a position similar to like what you're doing, like where it's very niche and it's like, I'm the food guy. Like look at all my food, um, which I guess specifically is specifically that. Specifically, only right, that. right. <laughs> I actually received opposite advice when I started. I was told don't post anything because I had all this stuff. I was a newer artist and I had all these things and like, they were like, okay. And I wanted to like constantly post it out. Right. So I had this mentor guy who was helping me. And I was like, dude, like, let me just post all this crap out and we can share it and I'll just keep making stuff. And then maybe somebody will notice me. I'm like, that's how it works, right? And he was like, ah, he's like, no, don't do that. And I was like, well, why not? And he's like, well, your work is newer and it's not horrible, but it's not like the best. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks, man. It's <laughs> so sweet of you. Uh, and he was like, well, no, you know, don't feel bad about it, but why don't we why don't you look at exactly what you want to do, which at the time was FUI, so the UI stuff for film. It still is, but uh, he's like, Let, let's look at this for like a month and a half and let's craft something really, really tight. Instead of you posting things that are like 25% there or like great for like a one-day exercise but not necessarily like a high-quality product, why don't we take a month and a half of you just not really doing anything, we'll sit down and we'll make something like really, really educated and then you put that out and then we'll see how that does. So to give context to that, I, I was posting like things that I was doing that were like, you know, one or two day projects and I'd get like, you know, numbers aren't everything, but I'd get like 30 or 40 likes or something, right? And they were mainly like my friends or like my mom saying like, love it. She didn't know what it was, you know? And then I did that project with him and I like sat down and like crafted it and really thought about like, what do I want people to see when they look at me? Do I want them to see like 50 okay things or do I want them to see one really good thing? So I was like, let's just try the one really good thing. And I posted it and like tons of people saw it. I got a ton of attention because there was like a, there was, there was like a, we kept saying this word backstage, essence. <laughs> there was like an essence about it that I think people could pick up on, right? And why, why, of course, like put your content out because people are not gonna see your content if you don't post it out. However, 
I learned very quickly on not to post every single thing that I do, even if it's in with, within the niche that I, that I enjoy, because sometimes it's just not worth sharing because I don't, I don't want a client to necessarily see that. Um, which may sound kind of weird because then you kind of have to self-judge yourself of like, hmm, is this really good, you know? Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a quality question as much as it is how do I want to be perceived by the person I want to be hired from, you know? There's okay, definitely so for the meal stuff, right? Yeah. Sorry, what'd you say? For the meal. I, I was going to agree with what he was saying on uh, the daily renders. It's tough to produce something that looks great every day, and it's mostly about accountability of sticking with your streak of, doing something every single day but the result of that is your instagram feed won't look great for years yeah. uh, so, so if you go back and look at my first stuff it's still on there and it's not really that good so i think it happens to me a lot is that well uh, being on like the director's end of things or you know the leader side of things like someone will be like what about this guy can we hire this guy or do you think this guy or this person will work for this and I'll look at their reel or their site, and I'll see a like diverse amount of stuff. I'll see explainer stuff. I'll see some particle stuff. I'll see some motion grab. Like, and there's some stuff in there that's like really good. That's exactly what I need for this job. But I can't tell if that's like their main thing. I can't tell if that's even work they did on that project. Whereas if someone's like, "What about this person's stuff?" and it's like all this amazing rad food stuff that all has a very simple, like not maybe not the most similar aesthetic, but it, the more cohesive it is, I'm like the, the quicker I'm able to judge like whether that person is the right person for the job. That said, I don't know if that's the right advice. I just know that's my experience from the hiring side of things. Right. The, the answers are very much all over the place, but I think it's what kind of work are you doing and then apply context to that as to how to go about, I guess you're like, cause we're talking about posting here, apply context to how you're posting. Like for me, my original plan was, um, concert visuals and quite often they're very simple to make. They don't take very long to make them look really good. So for me, I was posting a lot, but sometimes with uh, like the UI might take a long time. So whatever you're doing, if it takes a long time to make it look great, then take the time to make it look great. But if you're able to make a good amount of volume of really good looking stuff, then put it out. That, that's kind of where I'm thinking here. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can all, you know, agree or disagree about how often to post, but let me tell you the right answer. <laughs> Every New Year's Eve, a picture of your family. <laughs> At least one. Now, the advice I usually give to people, and, and I think it kind of goes off to what you guys were saying, right, is it depends on what you want to do and the type of clients that you want to attract. And you know, with so much high quality work that's out there, you can see amazing stuff endlessly. But when I was hiring people to work on projects, the thing that helped me the most in looking through people's work is having some wireframe renders, having some behind the scenes, having like a little work in progress, you know, video to show the ingenuity that went into whatever they're working on, right? Because I can see something that's beautiful and I don't, I don't know the full context of what they did to pull that off. And it's like, you see Patrick's work, you see, well, why am I all of a sudden getting this delicious food on my feed? And then you scroll over and you see the wireframe renderer in Cinema 4D and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Um, so if that's the kind of stuff that you're, you're doing, like you want to show people your ingenuity, your, you know, um, especially if you're a hungry artist. All right. 
So not to improve on perfection, but um, <laughs> just one, one of the things I think that is really important, I think it goes along with exactly what you're saying, is the story that you want to tell. Right. Because essentially what social media is and what everybody is looking at is the story that you're literally editing for the world to see. So if you're doing high end work and that's what you want to be known for and that's what you want to be, you know, hired for doing FUI or food work or anything like that, do as much storytelling around the specifically how you want your client to see you. Right. So that's the thing is you're curating that. That's part of your creativity as well is to build your own story, to build your own bio in a way that when a client sees it, they see the work, they see the wireframes, they are putting together the story that you're giving them through your feed that they can go on this journey. And now they're going to have a relationship with you before they even meet you through your work. So that becomes a story. And that's one thing. So looking at your intentions behind it, it's going to be a really big thing. The other other thing would be, and this is, I guess, kind of the marketer in me, is you know you never know where your next client's going to come from, and that is going you casting your net wide. So if you don't want to just focus on that one thing, there might be a whole nother industry that you hit because you did that one thing that opens you up to a whole new clientele and a lot more money because you just have numbers. Right, You just have a, a massive amount of numbers and you're hitting a lot of different industries and things like that. So look at that, but craft your story. So your story might be someone who can do it all and you just have huge numbers because everybody knows popularity nowadays is worth more than creativity in, in a lot of places, unfortunately. Um, but that's how, uh, how it is. So if you're hitting all these different markets and you're just known, that's going to also be really beneficial. But if you want to be known as the high-end person, then definitely build that story. Anyone else on branding before we move on? This is branding. Use nice fonts. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go, EJ. This is for you. This is a good one for you. <laughs> uh, um, man with the, I forget your name, the teal shirt. Um, so what inspired you to, to well, actually, well, there's a lot of educators up yeah. here. Uh, so not just the teal shirt guy. Uh, but I'd be interested to hear like how everyone got into education and teaching online. Andrew Kramer. I can say, yeah, I got one, one, me, me personally. I got into it because the, the the pioneers in the industry came before me, and you know Andrew and Nick Campbell and Chris Schmidt, and I just felt like that was you know they they just gave so much. I, I wanted to give back, and then Will Matthias wrote me into an NAB, and I sucked at public speaking. If it didn't tell, <laughs> I didn't get much better. Uh, but I, I had to like force myself to, to to teach better, so I kind of forced myself to do tutorials. And next thing you know, I'm sitting here. So yeah. Um, well, first of all, EJ is a world class educator, and um, so to get high praise from that guy that, that means a lot. So um, what I remember about getting into tutorials was like I was on Creative Cow, which is like a web forum, and there was like tutorials every now and then that were like text-based. So if you're like, Hey, there's this tutorial. And it was like this endlessly scrolling page of, you know, steps and, you know, you're reading it and you cannot really write every single step, you know, it's like open this up and then you got to hit. Okay. Like if you miss one step, now you're stuck. You're like, wait a second. How did he get to that? I don't understand. So I, you know, I started learning how to do stuff. And so I was thinking, well, I can show people how I do this simple effect. Like I, 
I, I would read on the forum, like, how do we do this? How do we do that? And I would be like, oh, I don't know, but I'll go experiment. And I might figure something out and think, all right, well, let me put a video tutorial together. And for me, the whole idea, and I still do this with my own tutorials, is I always start from a blank screen, a brand new project comp. And everything that happens, happens, you know, relatively in real time. You see every step. So no matter what skill level you come into it at, you'll be able to follow every step. And there'll be parts that you don't know. There'll be parts that you do know. Um, and and just seeing that early day before videos, it was just a matter of making sure that no matter what skill level, you could follow the tutorial. And so the thing that happened that I think is really special is the community is actually what drove a lot of sort of my own ambitions, right? Like we were all fans of movies and effects and motion graphics. Someone would post a cool reel and it would just be the endless amount of how did they do that? And how, like, you know, how, how can you possibly, you know, figure this out? So something about that kind of challenge um, just kind of got me excited. And so to be able to play around in After Effects and completely just not think about what the tool is supposed to be used for, but try to figure out what could I use it for. And that I'm, you know, the truth is like the challenge of it, of overcoming the limits of it, that made me excited. And because the, you know, the people online were just like, you know, that even if it was in, you know, 2006, people were pretty picky back then. They wanted it to be good. And so it, it, you couldn't, you know, you have an effect and they say, Hey, it wasn't reflecting on the windows of the car. You're like, dang it. <laughs> so, so that gave me that extra attention to detail. So, you know, just having that, you know, that in, in a very positive way. Like, actually, I told this story once recently. It was I, I was working on the Earth Zoom tutorial, tutorial number 40. And Classic. I only know that because I wanted to make that one good. <laughs> <laughs> and... I posted like an early version of it, right? So like, it was like Google Earth and it was just like slowly linearly pulled back and it, w- it ended. And somebody, you know, and I had just turned on like blog comments. So like for the first like several years, like I'm just making stuff and like, I have no idea like what people are saying. It's just, I can see like stats on how many hits, but you just, you don't even know what people are saying. So finally there's comments and people are saying, oh, this is cool or whatever. And then some people are like, this doesn't look real or you know what would be cool if the camera rotated as it was pulling out to kind of just create you know like a ambiguous perspective and I was like that's a great idea so I added it in it looked great block that guy <laughs> no uh, well, oh no I mean my point was it's very collaborative and and, and it, it yeah thank you everyone <laughs> I oh yeah I got started First off, I have no idea why I started making tutorials. I just did one day. But immediately, what I made was the kind of content I wish I had when I was learning Blender. Because when I started, there was one other guy making motion, like weird Cinema 4D looking motion graphics. That's where I came from, like really loving, like my favorite guy at the time was Philip Hodes. And I wanted to make that kind of stuff, but nobody was making tutorials for that in Blender. And so I was just watching Blender tutorials and then applying that knowledge to weird abstract stuff because that's what i love and so when i started making tutorials that's what i made tutorials about was the kind of stuff that i wished i had when i was learning and that was the motivator and still to this day i'm making tutorials for the nathan seven years ago who just wanted to make cool stuff 
I almost didn't even care about the tools. I just wanted to make cool stuff. And still to this day, because I know when you're first learning a program, it sucks and you just kind of want to stop and take naps all day because it's wildly boring. And so that's what got me into it. That's what keep, that's why I'm staying doing it because it's just educating anybody who does education, you know how rewarding it is when someone reaches out to you and goes, Hey, I watch your stuff and now I'm doing X, Y, Z and it was really great. And so it's still rewarding. And that's, what's so awesome about education. And that's kind of how I started doing it. I got into teaching cause I put or into training. I have don't have as many tutorials as many other people on this panel, but cause I do, so, I wear so many hats and it takes up all my time and I'm stupid. The, uh, I had made a, something that used Trapcode particular, uh, one, dumb thing that was actually a personal project so then we go back to that question i posted it on vimeos back in 2010 and i just included like that was back in the day you post things on vimeo you say what tools you used um that was how i learned the trap what trap particular even was was from seeing other people's work like that i was not in the creative cow like community with like everybody else that i know in this environment was back in that time i uh and Arn Rabinowitz, who at the time was the director of marketing at Red Giant, which makes Trapcode particular, uh, saw that and invited me to make a tutorial, like reached out to me through Twitter. Like, do you want to make a, t- a tutorial on this? I never made one before. And he was like, I, uh, I can't pay you, but I can give you free software, everything we make. And I was like, hmm, how long does it have to be? And I made this tutorial for how to recreate the smoke monster from Lost, uh, which by the way is a preset in Trapcode particular. Um, I, uh, like, was before. That's guaranteed. That's why it's a smoke monster on the show. Anyway, the, because it's cheap. The, um, I made this tutorial, and at midway through, so that was a motivating factor for me getting into it. Why did I keep making tutorials after that? Because when I was making that tutorial, the only, the only tutorial I'd ever seen online that I liked was by that guy. And... A great deal of it was his passion for what he's doing and also his taste and the stuff that he was making. It was really impressive stuff. I didn't feel I had any of that. What I had, I was making this tutorial and I felt like I was trying to do the thing where you record it while you're doing it. And I, I learned very quickly, I cannot narrate what I'm doing while I'm doing it. I either forget that I'm narrating or I forget what I'm doing. And so it's just, and uh, you do this little thing. I also learned, I don't know what anything's called. I had learned from watching the beginnings of tutorials and then going off on a rabbit trail on down, down, down a rabbit trail on thing like little tools that would be introduced in the first part of the tutorial and, had, and then just start making random crap and experimenting. So I didn't really even know what half the things were called or what they really did. I just knew what number I dialed it into to make it look good. So I was just making this garbage nonsense. nonsense. So I set everything aside and I was like, I'm just going to... I'm going to do like a speed run through making this and I'm going to screen capture it. And I'm not going to try to talk over it. And I set milestones like let's, let's record this section, then this section, then this section. And then I cut it together. Um, I literally just cut it like, like I would a movie or something where I took like, here's this, this moment where I grab this. Here's this moment where I put this here, here. And it was like this overly edited tutorial with like close-ups and everything. And where I just you know scale up and I'm only actions in this window, so I'll show that now. And then I went back, played it, and I narrated over it while it was playing, with a rough outline and a rough sketch. And what you got was this like, 
I, I've never done drugs, but it seemed like a cocaine-fueled journey through After Effects. And I, so I cut a little more air into the faces, made, made it a little more breathable. And what I had was something I hadn't really seen a lot of at the time, which is now everywhere. Like, I'm not saying I created it at all. I'm saying just that I stumbled into it accidentally by just being terrified of being boring. Um, and I that's still how I will make a tutorial or do something is I will be trying to teach something that I'm incredibly excited to show you about. Um, and usually I'm excited because I just learned it. Was that Mount Stupid where you see like the amount that you, the, the amount that you know about something and the, uh, is like this line and the amount that you think you know about it is this line. That's Mount Stupid. That first amount that dip. That's where my best training material is. Cause that's one of the most excited about the stuff that I'm teaching. Um, and so, like, it's that passion and excitement combined with the fear of being boring that has made any of, like, the watchable training stuff that I have out there. I'm also curious, uh, those of you who don't put out tutorials, you know, how you feel about the value of, of what people put out because there's so many free resources online. There's so many, and people just take the time to do that. So how does everybody feel about that, and, and what value do you get out of that? Uh, I want to comment. Uh, every time that I meet someone who is somewhat famous online who does tutorials, I always try to tell them that how much I appreciate it because uh, I don't do it because it takes time. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know how they do it. So, yeah, sometimes you don't hear feedback. You just post it online and it, it takes like people coming up to you before you really realize, oh, hey, that was helpful. I think value-wise for me, I don't teach anything and I probably should never teach honestly anything, but uh, as an absorber of (laughs) taught things, um, I, I, I learn by having a specific goal at the end of the path and then like figuring out how to get to that goal. If I'm going to learn After Effects and I just watch videos on welcome to After Effects, I'm going to go through every single button and tell you what they do. I will not learn After Effects that way. But if I know I need to learn a specific effect or a specific, uh, um, if I know I need to do like a fluid simulation or something, then I, I have a clear goal to get to that and I'll like pick up the program along the way. And that's kind of how I learned After Effects. And when I was 13, 13 or 14, I watched an Andrew Kramer tutorial. This is my Andrew story. Only one I have. We'll go around and <laughs> Right. Uh, I was like, eh, maybe 15, something like that. I was younger. And uh, I was trying to make one of those Iron Man heads-up displays, like in the helmet. And I got recommended over to Andrew Singh because they had one, like, back in the day, I guess. And I remember doing it. And, like, mine did not look good. But within that, I, mean, I didn't know After Effects prior. So I guess I should clarify. I wanted to do this thought it was neat. I convinced my dad to buy this program that I found online. And then I would stay up super late. My parents were divorced. So I'd go to my dad's house and he'd go to bed and I'd stay up super late and I'd sit on our family computer in the living room and I would watch his tutorial like super loud. And I would do this HUD tutorial, but the whole time I was absorbing knowledge of like, how do I track motion? What's the 3d camera tracker? How do I make just a basic grid to throw in here? What is rotate? What's the hotkey for that? Right? Like I would have just the way I learned, I would have never picked that up if somebody was just trying to explain it to me because in my head for me to translate, oh, with, with this, I can do this, it's hard for me to make the connection. But watching the way that they described it, 
the way that you do stuff, I was able to like creatively make those connections in my head. So then when I wanted to make a project on my own, I'm like, oh, well I could click the 3D camera tracker here and I could take that data and I could put it here and I could start rotating it. Um, yeah, it was super helpful. So things like that are awesome. I got kind of started in education in a different way. I very, very relatively new to making video tutorials, but I'm somewhat of a veteran of posting answers to people's questions on the internet. Um, I started out learning After Effects on VHS tapes and then lurking on Creative Cow before video tutorials existed, just watching people's questions get answered and kind of learned After Effects that way a lot. And I was like, you know, as soon as I have enough knowledge to answer someone's question, I was like, I'm going to give back to this incredibly generous community and I'm going to answer something. And I did. And they're like, thank you. And I was like, yes. This feels so good to be able to help someone else. And that was just what sparked me. Like, I just love helping other people. And then I started, like, if I sit down and watch someone work, and be like, oh, hang on. Stop for a second. Let me show you a quicker, faster, easier way to do your thing. And that's what sparked me. Like, I love helping make people's lives better. So that's how I got into the start. just so you guys know, this guy is the encyclopedia of all After Effects knowledge across the entire internet. This is so, walking documentation. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I, the first time I ever saw your name was Creative Cal, and I just kept seeing you, like, all the time. Yes, so, like, putting out fires. So, Matthias, the guy that's constantly commenting on your tutorials, telling you how to actually do it, meet Michael. <laughs> He's here with us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for those corrections. He had, like, a smiley face with the, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know. <laughs> Emojis are helpful. Yeah. But no, it's just like, I just get so excited. Like, most of my training that I'm put out now is just like, I found something super cool. I think you'll find it super cool too. And I'm excited. Honestly, I think our industry is truly one of the most generous when it comes to knowledge. Like, you think about other industries, you're trying to hide secrets. You don't want people to know this trick. Like, I feel like the people, they're like, I found this cool thing. I have to post about it right now. And, you know, then it gets shared. And I think that also... We, we reward those people who put the effort and the time into that, like by sharing it, by letting people know about it. Like the amount of just, you know, um, community growth that happens because of that kind of genuine, you know, generosity. Um, like I, I don't think I've ever seen it in any other industry. And that's because the pioneers like yourself kind of set the bar. And that, that's in all due honesty because we didn't really see other people communicating to the depth and the need of the creative i like i owe a lot to you personally in getting into this because when i first got started and i looked at other 3d programs uh, maya max and all that as soon as i opened up the program i became intimidated and i shut it down and i was like man i have so many creative ideas i don't know if i'll ever be able to execute them but if there is a time where the tools will meet me where I can actually follow through and I don't feel like an engineer, but I f- still feel like an artist. And it was literally your bullet tutorial and seeing how it was done in Max and Blender and cinema. When I saw cinema, I was like, that's like 11 clicks and I'm doing a matrix style effect, sign me up. And it changed my, my belief in myself. And I think you and Nick Campbell and a couple other people, early phases, you were permissioning us to be able to take that leap into the creative deep end from the things that would intimidate us or would be fearful for us. And now a lot of people have kind of rode that, but that's, uh, you know, so kudos and thank you. That's, you've, you've changed the lives of tens of thousands of people creatively. Should leave now. It's not going to get any better. 
us, us geeks like to find each other too, I think. So it's that, that knowledge sharing. I don't know if anybody's ever read or seen anything about like the original Silicon Valley computer clubs, like where they would show up and be like, look what I figured out how to do on the Altair this week or whatever. That same kind of geeky friendship, you know, to share that knowledge. Um, anybody else on that topic? All right, next one is yeah, I'll, I'll hand it to you now. All right, so we have a lot of talented artists up here, and Andrew Kramer, uh, and we have all you beautiful people in the audience. Uh, we would like to open up questions to uh, the audience, if you have any. Don't be shy. Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro-budgets with Skeleton Crews. Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your, your source, source for, for all things indie film. film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. We know there's a lot of different levels, you know, of experience here too. So it'd be really sure, great yeah. to hear your thoughts. So, so the question is: Do you have any for the the people in the on the internet? Uh, do you have any horror stories about the projects that you did? I've been trying to make the on. same movie for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. That beats Pete. Oh, questions from the internet? Oh boy. No, we'll we'll stick in here for now, and then I'll yeah, we can open it up. Um, I'm going to have to like open my phone. So hopefully it's not loud. Uh, if anybody does have questions on the internet, go ahead and post them and I'll, uh, I'll open my phone, but I'll let you go. Me. Anybody else? Uh, I chased down a priority issue in cinema 4d for a week and a half or something. I thought I was going to be done and it just, it would not go away. And I, uh, I never found it. I just rebuilt it a different way never solved the priority issue so <laughs> i i feel like we always try to find the most elegant technical solution for something that we could probably just do the easy way like much oh, faster yeah. like i know I, that happens like almost every single project is like well let me try this elegance no just do it the hard way the the boring way that you're not going to make a tutorial out of but well i I kept thinking I was going to get it. I'm like, I'm going to get it. And you talk about like not getting up and sticking with it and sticking with it. And I just kept, I, and I, I don't know if there was ever a solution that was going to solve it. So, Yeah, EJ, I have a story about that exactly. Um, on this project I did for THX was this 60 second kind of animated sequence that went from space down to like a mountain to, you know, a water drop. And as we come from space down to this sort of mountainscape, it's a seamless shot from, you know, a galaxy to, you know, a skyline. And so 
it's like nighttime essentially to daytime. And I thought, man, I, I wonder if I could create like a, a sky system that is like dynamic, you know, where it goes from day to night and it looks like a real, you know, sunrise, sunset. So I like build this whole like system, had one of my programmers help me with like the expressions to sort of take a, a control point that's in a equal rectangular and turn it into, you know, like a linear value that could kind of animate this. Needless to say, in the end, I just, I did what was called a cross dissolve. (laughs) Fade out, fade in this, and it was perfect. So, Brute force. That's what you do. Brute force. I had an art director years ago who told me a story about someone he was working with, and he's like, doing a fairly simple animation, but like a ball bounces, it hits this thing, does this other thing, and uh, he was supposed to go in there and review it with uh, with one of his juniors. And he goes in, and the guy's like, man, I've been working on this sim all day. I've been building this thing and doing this thing, and like, I just can't get it right. He's like, dude, that's like three keyframes. Like, just brute force it, man. When are you going to go back and like reprogram that to do something else? So sometimes that's the answer. Yeah. I've, I've noticed a lot, and I think it's a lot of, I guess it's not just beginners, but I feel primarily because that's kind of mostly what I teach is they'll have an idea and they just kind of assume there's an easy system for it. And sometimes you just kind of got to get in the nitty gritty and just do it by hand because there's not always a system for that. You don't have a Pixar button? Yeah. It's like, what's the photo real button? Can I find the photo real button? Because that's, you know. There's a prompt for that. Yeah. No, just no. no. Sorry. Sorry. I also want to mention uh, on the questions, I think the Maxon version of the stream doesn't have comments on. So if you go to the MoGraph version, you can ask a question there. Um, anybody else in the audience? Or, or Wait, I didn't ask if anybody had something else they wanted to add to that. Okay, good. Anybody else have questions of the audience right now? Because if not, we're going to move to the AI. Oh, no. You know how it goes. That's a good question. Please answer. Please someone ask more Please. questions. <laughs> We're going to AI for questions? <laughs> oh, okay. Chat GPT, ask question to... Um, any other things we want to discuss before... The next we, two hours. Before we get to, to AI. Actually, it, does anybody have a specific topic that they'd like to bring up? I don't know if this is a top... I don't know why I'm questioning everything I'm saying. Let me just stop that right now. Um, in confidence, I'm going to speak. When I did, when I was on the other side of the fence before I was doing this professionally, I guess, uh, and I wasn't being paid for it, I was doing everything I thought to be right, but I would see the work I was doing and I was looking at it in my dorm room and I was like, yeah, you know, this ain't nothing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, it's not nothing special. And then within like six months, I was able to get like a professional gig doing this work and I was doing the same stuff I was doing in my dorm room, but at my parents' house. So I'm like, this is so bad. Everything I would do, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not on my own. I'm not like an adult. Like, I have so much to learn. This is not what my client needs. And it, all my work's like movie work. So like the stuff I was submitting, I'm like, this is going like in front of a director and like VFX producers. And I'm like 21. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I literally don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like making it up. I'm like, I think this looks good. And I would give it to them. And then like I, the work would go out and it was hitting the notes and it was fine. And it was the uh, studio that I was working for at the time was super happy with what I was doing. And they're like, dude, like you're growing, you're doing fine. But I felt like that I was missing like the special sauce 
was like, every time I would look at other people's work, I'm like, man, they have like this special sauce about it. And I realized that it was the perception of somebody looking at your stuff presented like through the internet or through a different medium. So like when my work came out and I was watching my stuff like in a theater or like on TV, it still felt the same to me because I'm like, oh gosh, I was like, I could have designed that way better. But then I'll see tons of people talking about it and they love it. But it's like that perception of like, it's on TV, so it's cool. Or like it's in a theater, so it's neat, you know? And there's like this, like this, um, I keep saying essence. There's this essence to it. And I found the same thing when people would post stuff online. They'd post these like awesome cut things on Instagram and it looked really pretty and really great. And technically I could remake it, but I always felt like I was inadequate because I wasn't being presented the same way they were. I'm like, well, I just did that. And I was, this might be TMI, but like half, when I was working on like a lot of stuff on this, uh, one of my early projects, like I wasn't wearing pants. Like I would just like wake up and I'm like walk, walk into my, right now I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> I would walk in my office and like I'd pour a bowl of Doritos and like my mom would call me and she's like telling me about something and I'm like, I'm doing this work and I look at it and I'm like, this is not, there's no way this is like Hollywood. This is not what this is. And then it would come out and everyone would look at it and like give me high regards about it. I'm like, I bet that's this not guy special. was wearing pants. I was like, yeah, this guy's wearing pants. So anyway, I say all of that not to disturb you, but to encourage you because it honestly seems to be like a confidence thing, really. Um, like, like what you were just talking about with struggling with similar stuff that they struggle with on VF- VFX and chill. Like we all work the same. Um, we may have different methods, but we're all going to run into the same issues. And so once that work actually like gets out, try to like demystify that process and not think that there's something wrong with you because you're not a, a great artist because you're struggling with like something specific like i started to learn that we're all people and we all we all we all deal with stuff and that it's not like someone has like a golden touch unless like you're andrew i guess but um because i mean i don't know i think he just wakes up and stuff's done on his computer i think how does this feel for you by this point yeah no we're just <laughs> um i am wearing pants for the record well it's not good work okay um, what was I going to say? It's it kind of, you know, just extending that whole idea of like, like, when do you feel like you're good enough? Like, you know, how do you know? And I, I remember one thing early on with like when I was doing tutorials and people would, you know, follow the tutorial and try to create it like how I made it, right? They're learning. So they're trying to, you know, get the edge right or get the quality to be the same. And I think that's like part of that early process is, making something to look like something else like you you're trying to capture that quality that essence but when you're using a certain tool you can you can sometimes feel limited by that tool right and we've all kind of felt that with the, a plugin it's like okay that that looks like it was made with that program or that was made with this and then you see people manipulating the tool in such a way that you know they're adding a blur they're at, they're just adding this abstractness to the renders or they're doing these unconventional things that take it outside of you know that boilerplate type of solution and that that feeling that you get when you feel comfortable enough with the tools that you're not thinking about like well uh, you know I'll fake a shadow and after effects or I'll you know whatever and it'll look a little two-dimensional or look a little bit like it was made a certain way but take yourself out of that and have a vision that transcends the program and, and so having um, references or aspirations for things that are beyond the tools, then somehow, once you know what you want in your mind, somehow the tools can pull it off. It's like it, it, you go from 
oh, I'm just trying to get it to work and it doesn't look good to now, now knowing what you want and the tools can be elevated to that. So that, that was when I really felt comfortable was, you know, where I felt like I could, you know, with, with enough work, I could achieve the vision in my head. And, you know, it's, it's a, so just taking the time to work through it and so that you don't think about the tools and you're just thinking about what you want and, and you know, you go from there. And no pants, apparently. Hey, you heard from this guy. <laughs> I think it's, you often get the idea of this person on the internet who is known as an expert in making the thing, the tutorials, or in my case, the forum answers. They must know everything. But y'all, sometimes we Google our own tutorials to find the answer to things that we've answered other people. And we just forget. Like, yep. you, you, sometimes you have to look at your own tutorial to remember how to do a thing. And that's fine. You can't remember it all. You have the internet. That's what it's for. Um, I'm looking to see if there's any more questions online. Um, uh, one of them is talking about the uh, strategic camera placement so that Andrew Kramer is in both shots. That's good. Um, Actually, that happens wherever you put the cameras. So I don't know how. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, wait a second. Is this thing being recorded? <laughs> yes. Any other questions in the audience before uh, I got it? I got it. Good. Okay. The question is about critiquing your own work, and, and that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, that's, that's always tough for me to look at my own stuff and, like, is this any good? I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm not looking at someone else's stuff. Um, how do you go about critiquing your, your own work? I think separation is always good. We say, when do you take a break? There's two times to take a break. One is when you are going to need to review your work. You have to step away, go do something else, and then come back to it with, you have much fresher eyes. And secondly, if you're frustrated with something, step away, go for a walk, play with the dog, play with your kids, you know, whatever, do something else, and then come back. And you might, like was mentioned earlier, while you're on the walk, you might come up with a solution then, or just coming back with a fresher perspective. So that's the two times to take a break. I, I would say 100%. If you're extremely frustrated, you keep banging your head against the wall, go take a walk. And if you need to review your work before you send it out, go do something else, and then come back to it. You'll have much fresher eyes. I think... It's also good to kind of treat yourself as an employee of yourself and kind of separating, like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, would you say that to another person that would work for you? Like, would you do, is it constructive, constructive criticism or is it just, are you just being hard on yourself? Um, yeah, taking breaks. Also for me, I like to be very good to myself and like kind of feel what works for me like if I want to work at 3 a.m. if it works for me it works for me and just sort of like let yourself fall into pattern patterns that work for you specifically um yeah be kind to yourself like yeah amen also show for me what helps me get out of uh that trance you're talking about I think is to show it to people like um, not like publicly post it, although there was a season of my life where that's what I would do. I would, uh, I'll usually it's Mike Onhashi who I'll show something to. Um, when I used to have a full time job, I'd go into my poor coworkers offices and be like, Hey, can you come watch something? And they'd watch the same thing over and over and over, over the course of like two weeks. But that was honestly, I didn't even need their feedback most of the time. It was honestly just having someone else look at it. Suddenly I came out of the trance, saw it through their eyes. And it was like, don't even say anything. I know exactly what's wrong with it. But it's only because other eyes looked at it. Um, <laughs> so, so one of the things that uh, 
I, I look at is I, I like Frank Lloyd Wright's approach to design a lot of architectural design and that's like form follows function. So I have to just remind myself of what I'm actually doing because sometimes I'm just like, oh, does it look a certain way to my own eye, to my own taste level? And often it'll be like, oh, I could sit here and it will just never be enough for me. But then when I go into my more analytical mind of form follows function, this is for a client that has terrible taste. What are you doing? <laughs> right. So then when I get that question, it's like, oh, well, I just need to ship it. Like, that's where it goes back to fuck it, ship it. Like, get it out. Other people's eyes on it is part of that shipping process because it's usually the iterations and the refinement, not necessarily just grinding on one thing that you think is important, but knowing what that ultimate outcome is what you're desired what's the intention what's the purpose behind this so what's the function of this does it first hit that function am i 90 percent of the way there and i'm just really fussing about that 10 percent? cool am i aware that i'm fussing about that 10 percent, or am i thinking that 10 percent means i haven't even hit that 90 and that's a question that i i have to go back and forth with and more often than not I already got 90% of the way there and I'm just fussing. So it's just something to be aware of and maybe it's something that could helpful to you on the process is like form follows function. Is it doing what I want it to do? Is it 80, 90% of the way there first? Another uh, problem solving thing for me is uh, I live with a spouse and this my spouse does not know motion design. But if I have a problem and I try describing it to him, he can like just me trying to describe the problem will often help me solve it and sometimes showing him stuff i'll show him something and he just goes uh, or somebody's like oh that looks really good like it's a completely new set of eyes that is someone not even remotely related to the industry that can help as well so you know show it to your dog show it to your show it to your spouse show it to your mom don't show your kids though they're brutal they're absolutely <laughs> brutal i have two uh things very literal uh the first thing that i um do is i make lists so uh, if I'm working on a piece or a shot, um, I know that there's there's problems with systems or different elements in the frame, and I uh, I make lists of those things because I'm going to come back and address them, and then I reorder the list by priority based on what's most important to to get hammered out before you know you need to ship it if you have a deadline. So you hit the deadline no matter what. That's one thing I do. The other thing is. Um, I had a background in pro audio for a long time. And if you've ever worked on a mix for a long time, you can have ear fatigue and you lose your dynamic range. So you can't mix but so many hours in a day. Um, same thing happens when you look at the same frame for a long time. You only can, um, you have to walk away from it. And, and if another set of eyes helps, um, but I'll get up early in the morning, I'll come in and, and I'll play um, whatever the, the piece is. You know, maybe it's a render from overnight and uh, I have a fresh set of eyes on it. So um, I basically am the most objective on that first playthrough. And if anything sticks out on that first play, I don't play it 10 times. I don't play it one time. It's the first time I've seen it. Um, and I'm, I write down what are the issues, what stuck out on that one time through. Same thing I do with audio. Uh, I listen through, and if there's something weird, uh, I notice it right away because I have fresh ears or fresh eyes. Um, and then I make that list and I reorder it based on what's the most important um, to, to elevate the whole piece. Um, you may not be able to get everything addressed on your list, but you can reorder it Well, what's uh, the highest priority. 
that that's something that I learned from audio as well. Um, I just kind of mess around with it on the side, but I've watched some tutorials and they always talk about mixing. They're like, you get finished, you wait till the next day, and then you listen to it again. And so I started trying to do that with my work. No, don't post it on Instagram yet. Wait till tomorrow <laughs> and then see if you still want to post. Uh, one trick with audio, um, you uh, you ever see the guys where the uh, ear isolation like at the airport their ear protection or they wear them when they're mowing the yard or whatever so if you want to speed up that process to get your dynamic range back you can wear some of those around the house um, and then as soon as you take them off listen to your mix right away and you'll get all that dynamic range back much quicker Hmm. interesting I like to screenshot my images and just flip them around and go like it you see it in a new perspective um also changing out the hgri to a different color you can sometimes see what's wrong with the scene i like to see stuff in context which i guess would look different for different mediums but if i'm working on a screen i'll get super locked into my illustrator file and i'm just like designing and i'm thinking this looks great then i go in after effects i start messing around with it i'm like yep this is it but then i feel like something's off and i i start to like lose my traction a little bit so i'll spend all day on it and I'm like, you know what? I just need to look at this in context. So like I'll pull the plate or the shot and I'll do like a little slap comp and I'll throw my graphic on the screen. And then I realize the screen's like a hundred feet in the background, completely blurred out. <laughs> like nobody can actually really see it. And I'm like, oh wait, this just needs to be a big shape because no one's going to see these little things I'm like noodling with, which obviously look different for everybody. But I think understanding the context of it, because I mean, I don't know. I'd like to say I can speak for everybody and like we can get pretty hyper fixated probably on something really, really detailed and minute that most people watching it through, you know, on an Instagram reel or something will not notice. Um, but we notice it, right? So just stepping back and being like, wait, is that really necessary to this? Okay, uh, we're running low on time. I've got two more questions, okay? Only one of them is AI. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something different there. But before we do that, um, I've got a question real quick for everybody, which is your uh, your advice to anybody who is new in this industry right now, something that you wish you would have known that you could tell them right now. I'll go first. Um, my advice is don't try to do everything. Um, get that instant gratification. Like Source models, put them in a scene, and that'll get you hooked and don't try to model everything from scratch like do everything from scratch find what you want to do find what makes you interested with the tools and go from there um my big advice which i did not follow at the beginning is don't let clients bully you (laughs) (laughs) because when i was new i was really excited to do everything and wanted to do everything right and please everyone and you you aren't going to gain the connections and like things you want from having a terrible time with every client like and they will bully you so have boundaries and say no when you need to i think my advice would be it's okay to draw inspiration from other people's artwork because that's what all the professionals do because i think there's this romanticized idea of like i came up with this entire thing from scratch but the thing about your brain is every idea that you come up with is derived from all of your past experiences so just look at other people's artwork and 
you know, when you're just learning, just recreate it. And then as you do that for a long time, obviously don't plagiarize, but you'll eventually learn how to make it your own. But you are not going to come up with your best work by being like a mental island. Or if you do it, you're going to find out somebody actually did it anyway and you didn't know it. Simpsons did it. You have inspirations because everyone, like I'm a big fan of comedy. And if you look at a lot of these comedians, original work, they seem like someone clearly that they loved. And the same thing goes with art. So it's okay. Take the pressure off yourself. Don't listen to other people who brag about coming up with everything all their own because they're probably lying. Yeah, it's fine. Draw inspiration. I would say to someone who's brand new, if you find this really cool tutorial online, uh, go ahead and do it, but then adapt that technique to do something else. Like take that idea, take that technique, find something in there and then push it further. Try something else, mix a technique from another tutorial in there. Like don't just follow it and say, here's the result of the tutorial. That's not going to help as much as taking that technique and idea and applying it somewhere else. That'll really help the technique, the tutorial and what you're learning sit a lot better than just, I know how to push the same buttons he pushed or she pushed. So I got uh, two quick ones, and this is a very human answer before we get into AI. And this is since the dawn of humanity, and it still carries on, is find two people. If you're just getting started, find two people. doesn't matter if it's an art or anything else. And one's a mentor and one's a sponsor. A mentor is going to teach you the tools of the trade. A lot of that might be some of the people up here that teach tutorials. It might be online. They're going to teach you the tools of the craft. A sponsor is going to be someone who can speak well on your behalf to be able to get you jobs or to be able to influence other people to get you jobs. Develop those two relationships early and continue to foster those. Anyone else before the AI question? One quick thing is I would just say try different things, right? There's so many different facets of this industry from 3D to UI to lighting and you never know there might be just something that you really love more than something else and and on that note is particularly because of the sort of uh, generosity of the community is that if you can partner with or meet with people who maybe do something different than what you're into you know you can find a way to sort of work together with them maybe on a project and kind of help augment each other's skills but it also gives you a chance to peer behind the curtain to somebody who is really skilled in a different area and sometimes the more you learn about stuff the less uh overwhelming it might seem like when you see something that you don't know how to do your mind immediately just feels like it's overwhelming like it must be some terrible dark secret to figure that out but once you understand how it's done and you you might find some joy or some interest in that so just give yourself an opportunity to see more you know, uh, areas. I was going to say, this is kind of like more of an overarching broad thing, but, uh, always have something like a long-term goal, short-term things that you can chase. But at the same time, uh, like one of my favorite artists has a song called ungrateful eyes. And it kind of goes over the concept of as artists, people, whatever career we're in, we're always in this mindset of, Oh, once I do this, I'll be like validated. Once I do that, once I get this job, once I make this much money, but then if we just keep saying these things over and over until one day we'll be on our deathbed or whatever. And we're like, I just had one side my whole life and was never like satisfied with the current state that I'm in. So like just not to get like deep or anything, but the whole concept of 
like the journey of it all that we're even here talking about this, talking with each other, being able to be here and do it, whether it's a career or a hobby, like the fact that we're in the middle of this, not to overlook that and just have that in the back of our heads, like as well, instead of just, well, how do I learn how to do this? How do I like collab with this guy? Or how do I do it? You know, we're like in the middle of it all now. Okay. Yes. Pick the right thing, right? Because on your deathbed, you don't want to regret it. <laughs> Pick the right deathbed. I mean, you don't want to be uncomfortable. No, no, no on top of that, on top of that, just, I always tell my students whenever I'm teaching, like, because uh, I do that too, by the way. Did I mention that? Um, the only thing you can ever control is the process. That's all you have control over is whether that's your process or if you're a director or you're a team lead, or leader of a team, you control. You have control over the process. And everything. You think you have control over the outcome. Uh, we could argue forever about like the nature of art and like whether like <laughs> we're actually in control of the things that are coming out of us or not. Like I think that or responding to impulses, whatever. But the point is, the thing you know you have control over, you definitely don't have control over the results. And but by that I mean like the reception by the people that are going to see your work. You don't have control over your own success. You have control over your process and how you treat people, how you treat yourself. God, I love that advice down there about being your own employee and treating yourself right. So freaking valuable and true. So I'm really just echoing everything you said. Okay. Since we only have five minutes left, this is the great time to bring up AI because we can't go any further than five minutes, right? I have one question. It's always, you know, took our jobs and all that with AI. Uh, there's a lot of negativity around it. So I'm going to twist it a little bit and say, what opportunities do we have as motion designers in AI moving forward? You can see where it's going. What opportunities do we have right now to benefit from AI? I want to say mine and then so I can be, I get out of the way because there's smarter people here. The, the thing that AI doesn't have is the thing that makes, we're all talking about Kramer, let's keep talking about Kramer, the thing that makes Andrew's products and tutorials what they are and so great. Um, I remember Element 3D comes out, Unreal, incredibly useful, but the models that came with it, the reason we all could, like, the reason that was just like the most valuable thing to receive in decades was because it had Andrew's taste embedded into it. All the, the models, the the UI, everything had had, and that's why his tutorials are so are not are so great. Not just because he's a great teacher, because the results are he's teaching you his taste, and that's something that's something that AI right now like image it requires an artist to sit at the computer and type the prompts in and to throw out the results that don't work and ask for the new results. It's taste that is what gets makes AI a really great tool for us in the work that we do. Um, that's all, bye. I think AI gives us opportunity in many cases to, uh, depending on the tools, like MidJourney just generates stuff, but there's other AI tools that are coming and are being developed and some available now that take a lot of the boring stuff out of the way and give us more time to be creative. Like, I don't want a rotoscope. I welcome AI gener like AI trained rotoscope. Sure. Because I just want to make the cool thing happen. I'm just cutting out the... It's a little, like, just, I want to make the cool stuff. So let the computer do the boring stuff and let me make the cool stuff. I would say a huge opportunity is to uh, capitalize on all of our weaknesses right now. Because there's usually some area that we're weak in as an artist. And I feel being able to lean on the data sets of all the different creatives 
uh, you know, cross time and space to be able to help you with that. If it's lighting, being able to get a lot of different lighting references for a scene or anything else. Um, but I think all of those weaknesses, if it's storytelling, to be able to have story for the piece that you kind of have an idea, but it's not really fleshed out. So I feel that the opportunity is for us to do more of that personal work that just might have seemed like a mountain of work to be able to get a lot of more bits and pieces and to see more of your creativity come to life sooner, you know, using AI as an aid to get more of those stories that you've had since childhood that you're like, oh, I'll just never get to it. Now's the time to really be able to see those shots that you, you never knew you could get to. All right. Any more AI before we take off? I was going to say that that's like perfectly it. Like think about how intimidated artists are from trying anything because they think they're going to fail at it. Like, and I was showing in my presentation, like I'm terrible at modeling and that holds me back from doing all the things I want to do. Like I can sketch out a character, but I almost like put like a governor on my own creativity because I'm like, well, I'm not, I can't, I don't know how to visualize this character. So I think, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like fear kills more dreams than failure ever will, you know? And so I think that is the opportunity there. And I think if anyone can create anything, that's where I think we all come back to the point of like, why are we artists to begin with? What do you have to say? And what are you going to say with it when everyone can do whatever they want? And also like along the lines of um, being scared to get inspiration from other people, something AI Midjourney has let me do is not feel like I'm stealing something you know i'm using something as a reference i'm like oh i'm not stealing you know that person's idea no one's ever going to see this mid-journey thing that i have in my reference folder so uh that's helped me a lot that's positive but i think we're going to wrap up now um i'll let matthias come out here to uh to play us out to close us out i will say that um first of all i'd like to thank julie for um crafting our our snack experience back here because it's awesome. Thank you. And um, on that note, we have pizza and uh, soft drinks and things like that out here to mingle. Now, as this comes back to the whole uh, networking thing, right? Like now's the time to go talk to people, to meet people, to network, and then take it further. We're going to uh, we're going to go celebrate after this. Bearded Iris at uh, seven o'clock. Uh, sylvan supply the one that's over here um so if you don't have anything going on if you're just gonna go home and uh you know go back to tiktok or whatever maybe consider coming back to to this uh little after party thing and hanging out and meeting people because you never know you never know where that's gonna lead and and talk to vernon too because if you're in nashville it's gonna continue so uh we're gonna get out of here though uh, make sure that you uh, check online if we're going to be in your area come and see us uh, if not check out the live streams and everything else but we're going to get out of here so next time till next time I'm Dave I'm EJ and, and this, this was, was that
pretty good, I guess. MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast. Industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, Seagraph, Half Res, and local meetups. <laughs> Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. We gotta stop this thing, Rick! It's gonna kill us all! Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. You get that render done. Yeah, you better frame frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous. Branch into new software, learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it. We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here. Subscribe to MoGraph.com.